If you're here for the first time, I'm John Bruce, and uh, we have some uh, appreciation gifts we'd like to offer to you. We have um, a coffee tumbler, we have a water bottle or a sippy cup for your child or for you. Um, and you can get any of those out at the uh, information desk afterwards. If, you're, uh, if any of you have prayer requests or, or questions about the church, there's a slip in the seat back in front of you. If you just fill that out and drop it in the offering slot, which is right there, uh, we'll be praying for you and get that information to you. You know, I know that whenever I speak, I'm speaking to three different groups of people. There are some of you who know you have been reconciled to God through Christ and are really endeavoring to follow Jesus as Lord in your life. And there are those of you who know you're not a Christian, that you haven't made that decision yet. And we're really glad you're here. We, we, always, uh, we have always wanted to be a safe place to hear a dangerous message. And we're really glad that you're here to investigate. But According to the Bible, there's always a third group, and that is people who believe they're Christians but aren't yet. And, and that's the group I want to talk to specifically this morning as we talked about how to know if you have a relationship with God or you're just a religious person. So let's pray, and then we're going to jump into the Scriptures. Lord Jesus, thank you for your promise that you no longer call us slaves but friends. For a slave does not know what his master is doing, but everything that you've heard from the Father you have taught us. We pray you'll be our teacher this morning as we come back to the word which performs its work in us who believe, that you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe and to obey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in a, a series. It's really the first 11 chapters of of the Bible, which is an introduction to the whole story of the Bible, where the, the, the plot of the Bible is kind of laid out in the big themes. And like any book, if you don't read the introduction, you can't understand the rest of the book. So far, we've looked at the creation, at the fall, and at God's promise to one day send a human being who will repair the damage that Adam and Eve did by their rebellion and restore creation in us back and, and that's really the plot line of the whole story of the Bible of how God fulfills that promise. This morning, we're going to start another chapter in the story of the Bible, and that's the story of the first two human beings born by natural means, the story of, of Cain and Abel. So let's, let's read their story here. Now, the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and, for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. We usually think of the story of Cain and Abel as the first murder in history. 
And, and that's what we're going to look at next week and, and how sin, the nature of sin is to grow and to metastasize and to spread. But the story of Cain and Abel is also the first example of religion in the Bible. And, and the two great religions that run through the story of the Bible, in fact, continue today, the religion of faith and the religion of works. The, the worship of our creator and the worship of a God of our own creation. People who know God and people who just think they know God. Uh, as you can see, both Cain and Abel bring the first offerings of history to God. And yet God accepts one offering and not the other. And I want to th think about why. Why did God accept Abel's offering but not Cain's? It certainly wasn't because of who they were. Because Romans 2.11 says God shows no partiality. God is, does not love some people and not others. There's, there's really no difference between Cain and Abel. They're, they're from the same family. They're from the same race. They go to the same church, Garden of Eden Missionary Baptist. They, they're from the same neighborhood. They go to the same school. I think the evidence is pretty strong. They were both homeschooled. Um, but none of the things that people assume make them somehow special to God apply here. You know, I'm an American, I'm Protestant, I'm Catholic, I'm Republican, I'm Democrat, I was raised in a good family, I went to church all my life. None of those things apply here. And yet God accepts Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. Well, maybe if it's not because of who they were, it's because of what they gave. Because there's obviously a difference each man gave from his life work. So Cain gives part of his harvest to God, and Abel gives some lambs to God. And, and some students of the Bible have speculated that God rejected Cain's sacrifice because it wasn't a blood offering. That, as Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sin. And, that, and so that because he didn't offer blood, God rejected. And yet, God never ordered them to give sacrifices. He never told them anything. He never, they just out of their freedom of their hearts gave this to God. And plus, harvest sacrifices were acceptable to God under the Mosaic law. So God doesn't reject one, accept the others because of who they are or because of what they gave. So why does God accept Abel's sacrifice and reject Cain's? Well, it's not because of who they were. It's not because of what they gave, but it's because of how they gave it. There's one verse in the Bible that tells us why Abel's sacrifice was better. It's in Hebrews 11. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, God testifying about his gifts. Why was Abel's offering accepted and Cain's was rejected? Because Abel offered his sacrifice by faith, Cain apparently did not. Now, we don't know why Cain's offering wasn't by faith, but the Bible is full of examples of people who do the right thing for the wrong reasons, right? Maybe it was out of pride. 
Maybe he thought he was doing God a favor. Maybe he thought he was earning God's, God's attention. Maybe he was trying to get God to answer his prayers, trying to manipulate God. Or maybe Cain's sacrifice had nothing to do with God at all. Maybe he was competing with his brother for most religious guy in the world. We don't know. But in any case, Abel's sacrifice was by faith. Cain's was not. Now, the only possible clue we have is from verse 4. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and their fat portions. Abel sacrifices the first lambs born to his flock. And that's a dangerous thing to do because the lambs have to become sheep and bear more sheep for the flock to grow. And so by sacrificing the firstborn lambs, Abel is saying to God, you are more important to me than my flock. And I trust that you're going to continue to provide for me, that I don't have to protect my flock from you. Cain, on the other hand, has already harvested his harvest. He just brings something of his surplus and gives. Maybe that's why one was by faith. We don't know. What I want you to think about this morning is what do we learn about religion? from the story of Cain and Abel. Now, when we talk about religion, I think the, the, the common definition of religion is beliefs, obedience, and worship of some transcendent power, along with the institutions and the systems that grow up around that belief. Our religion can just be what's most important to you, what, what dictates your life, like football is his religion, which means that everybody's religious. You can, you can be an atheist or agnostic and still be religious because all of us have something of great importance that directs the way we live. And so what do we learn about religion from the story of Cain and Abel? Well, the first thing I'd like to suggest is that God is not pleased with all religious efforts. You ever hear somebody say, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere? That religions are just different paths to the same end? Well, the Bible says that's not the case. We are religious by nature because we were created to know God. But because we are fallen, we don't worship the God of creation, but we worship a God of our own creation that comes out of our own imagination. Look what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. He's talking about humanity here as a whole. And he says, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. That everyone is born with an intuitive knowledge of our creator. But instead of honoring God are giving him thanks, they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. We're created to know God. But because we're fallen, rather than worshiping the true God, we create our own God, a God we like in our own imagination, and we worship that. If you look at the different religions, they can't even agree on who God is. Is God a he, a she, 
or in it? Is God personal or impersonal? A force or a person? Is God good, bad, or indifferent? Is God part of the creation or outside of the creation? Is God involved with the creation or is God indifferent to the creation? Years ago, Bertrand Russell, who was an avowed atheist, proved by the law of non-contradiction that it is impossible for all religions to be true because they all contradict each other. He said either only one religion can be true or, as he thought, no religions can be true. But it's logically impossible for all religions to be true. That's what the story of Cain and Abel show us. In the first exercise of religion, God accepts one act of worship. He rejects the other act of worship. That's Lesson number one that I think we can draw from this. Here's lesson number two. God is pleased by faith. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, God testifying about his gifts. Now, why is God pleased by faith? Well, Hebrews 11:6, two verses later, tells us, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that God is, and he's a rewarder of those who seek him. This verse, as some of you have heard me speak on this before, is one of the most important verses in my, my life and the way God used it. I, there was a time years ago when I was seriously considering leaving ministry, and uh, I was just exhausted. I, I didn't want to sin, but I didn't want to obey either. And I just was, I was kind of, bummed out about how I kind of had the blahs about the cause and, and, uh, and it scared me because I'd always believe that other will, others will fall away but I won't and it wasn't a case of my circumstances I was in the best circumstances possible I was leading a student ministry for the summer up at Lake Tahoe had students from all over the United States who had traveled there to, to minister to the tourists. Great bunch of kids. They loved me. They hung on every, my every word. And I thought, if I could be considering bailing out in this situation, what am I going to do when things get tough? So yet you understand my struggle. And one day I'm reading Hebrews, and it's like I'd never read verse 6 before, what it was really saying. Why is it impossible to please God without faith? Because I have to have faith in order to come to God. It's, God created us for a relationship with him. And it's our coming to God, it's our seeking God that pleases God. In fact, that little phrase, he who comes to God, is literally the coming one to God, the one whose life is characterized by coming to God day after day after day, week after week, year after year, which was the very issue I was struggling with. What's going to keep me coming to God? Faith. I must believe two things. I must believe that God is, and I must believe that God is rewarded. Now, the first thing, when, when the Bible says you must believe that God is, it's not saying you have to believe in a God. It's you must believe that God is the God of the Bible. 
Several weeks ago, Jeff, when we talked about the fall, Jeff pointed out that unbelief is the sin beneath all other sins. If I really believe that God loves me as much as the Bible says he loves me, if I really believe that, will I ever be afraid? If I really believe that no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly, will I ever covet what somebody else has? If I really believe that God sees everything I do, will I think I can get away with anything if other people don't see it? You see? Every problem I have in obeying God comes down to the fact that I don't believe in the God of the Bible. Faith is simply believing that God is, as the Bible reveals him, and acting accordingly. I want you to imagine, you know, we have cross, we're partnering with the Cross Streets Ministry now, and they, they do a great job of distributing food to the needy uh, twice a month here in our parking lot. And I want you to imagine the two Creeksiders are volunteering there, one Creeksider volunteers because he loves God. And he's so grateful for what God has done for him and his mercy. And he, he knows that God calls him to love his neighbor as himself. And he wants to demonstrate the same love and mercy to the needy that God has demonstrated to him. The other comes because it makes him feel good to serve. Makes him feel necessary. Or... It's to kind of signal his virtue to others to let him know that I'm involved in helping the needy. Or because there's a woman who goes there and he wants to get to know her. Now, who is serving God out of faith? You see, they're both doing the same thing. But they're doing them for completely different reasons. Abel offered a sacrifice in response to what he believed about God. And that's why God accepted that sacrifice. And so one indicator of whether I know God or I'm just religious is what do I do for no other reason that I believe that God is the God of truth? What can you point to in your life? I wouldn't do this if I didn't believe in God. See what I mean? That's the question. Now, the second thing I must believe to keep coming to God day after day, year after year, is I must believe that God is what? A rewarder. And when I read that, I couldn't believe that was in the Bible. Wait a minute. I must believe there's something in it for me? That seems so mercenary, doesn't it? That seems so... so that Bible couldn't say that. I mean, shouldn't you obey God because you're supposed to obey him? And so I began to, I thought maybe the writer of Hebrews is a little wrong here. And so I began to read through the Bible. And you know what I found? I found the Bible never says, do this because it's the right thing to do. It never says, do this because I said so. Signed, God. <laughs> For every command in the Bible, there's a promise of why you will be benefited by doing it. Let me give you an illustration. When God sends Joshua to lead Israel after Moses dies in Joshua 1. Look what God says. Only be strong and very courageous. 
Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Why? Because I told you so, right? No, so that you may have success wherever you go. You want to be successful? Throughout the scripture, this promise is repeated. If you want to be successful, do things God's way. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Why? For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Why does God give us commands? Because he loves us. He loves us. He wants us to have a good life. And so he says, I created life. Follow my instructions, life. But if I don't believe that God is a rewarder of those who seek him, I won't obey his commands. As I went through the Bible, I found that everything I want out of life is promised to those who trust God and take his commandments seriously. And in every battle I fought against deep habitual sin, whether it be lust or procrastination or lack of love for people, Finding out God's promises in those areas and memorizing them and meditating on them has always been the key to going, going to battle and defeating those sins. So, again, ask yourself, where am I looking for my reward? Am I looking to God for my reward and trusting what he says, or am I looking somewhere else for my reward? That's Abel. Abel is an example of the kind of religion that pleases God. It is a religion of faith. It is my response to the truth about God, believing it and acting accordingly. Now, I want to spend the rest of our time looking at Cain as the example of bad religion. And I think you'll find some familiar themes here. Next week, we'll look at how Cain kills his brother and what that tells us about sin and how it grows. I want to focus on how Cain responds to God's punishment for killing his brother because it reveals a lot about Cain. God could have just killed Cain, couldn't he? In fact, in, in Genesis 9, after the flood, God says from this point on, whoever sheds man's blood by man's hand his blood must be shed. It's a, law, a life for life. But God doesn't kill Cain. Look what he does. God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you, you will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Here's Cain's punishment. He got fired. He can't be a farmer anymore. He's going to be a nomad. I think he got off light. But look at how he responds and what his response tells you about Cain and by extension, false religion. My punishment is too great to bear. You've punished me too much. Why? Three reasons. 
And, and the three things that bother Cain are three characteristics of false religion that appear in every false religion. He says, behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground. Cain is sadder about the loss of his career as a farmer than he is about the loss of his brother. You see that? My punishment is too great to bear. Not that I sinned against you. Not that I killed my only brother. But I can know. I think Cain was really proud of being a farmer. I think he was probably a better farmer than his dad, Adam. And he was just so proud of the fact that he could cultivate the ground and get so much out of it. And when God tells him, you have, have drenched the ground with your brother's blood, therefore the ground will no longer produce for you. He's devastated by that. And that brings us to the first characteristic of false religion. Can we go down one? False religion rejoices in its own accomplishments instead of in God. Religion is not about God. Religion is about me and what I can accomplish, what I can prove, what I can do. God is my servant to accomplish my own end. For years, I used to compare my ministry to other people's ministries. I compared our church to other churches. I compared my preaching to other preaching. I was competitive, and which meant I was always miserable because I'd be smug and secure one day and mad at God for not blessing me as much as he was blessing some other church or some other person the next day. Now, am I serving God or am I serving myself? I was serving myself. It was all about me, right? God was on the sidelines. God was there to help me with my ambition, but ministry was not done out of gratitude for what Christ had done for me and, and out of love for God. Ministry was a place for me to prove that I mattered, to, to demonstrate, to get recognition, to, to get affirmation from people. It was all about me, not about God. And, and that's one of the, the characteristics of religion, that religion is about what my performance, me proving that I'm somebody, I'm of value, rather than what God says and what God, what God has done. If you care more about outcomes than obedience, you're just religious. If you care more about human recognition and human affirmation, you're just religious. There's a great story uh, in Luke chapter 10. Jesus sends out 70 of his disciples to preach and do miracles. And they come back and they are so excited. They say, Lord, you should have been there. Even the demons are subject to us. Man, I, there's a demon-possessed guy and I cast out the demon in your name. It's kind of like we're superstars. Anybody remember what Jesus says? He says, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you, but rejoice in this, that your names are recorded in heaven. Don't rejoice in what you do for God. Rejoice that you have a relationship with God. Rejoice that God knows your name. See the difference there? Religion 
focuses on what I do. Faith focuses on God and the privilege of knowing him and experiencing his love. Can we go back? Here's the second reason Cain says, my punishment is too great to bear. You have driven me this day from the face of the ground. You've taken my job away. And from your faiths I will be hidden. Was that true? Was, was, would God no longer be able to see Cain since he wasn't living here and he was going to be wandering the face? No, God sees everything, doesn't he? There's nothing hidden from God's sight. But what religion does is religion limits God. It always worships a smaller God than the true God because it's worshiping a God of our own imagination rather than the God of creation. And we can never imagine a God as limitless as the true God really is. And so a lot of ancient religions, they thought of God as a territorial God, kind of like Cain does. You know, got the God of the Philistines, and he's God of Philistia, but he's not God in Moab. You got another God to deal with there. And he's certainly not, not God, God uh, over, over in Egypt, because you got some other gods there. It's a very limited view of God. Our people saw God that were, they created gods that were more human than they were like God. You know, they're bloodthirsty, they're petty, they're forgetful, they have to be begged. They're more like people than they are like God. Today, a lot of liberal Christians believe that God can't do miracles because science says miracles are impossible. Or believe that God is indifferent and not involved with the creation itself. Religion limits God to our own, our own thinking, our own imagination, rather than refusing to put limits on God. I, I realized the other day how much I've been limiting God in my own life. I, I realized that for a long time, I believe that God kind of doesn't do much until I come and ask him to do them. And, and it's kind of like God is there to help me with my ministry, so I've got to do the planning. I've got to be, then I've got to pray and then hope God blesses my plans, which hasn't worked real well. And, and as I read the Bible, I find that God is active all the time. He's always working. He's working before I show up. He's working when I'm there, and he works long after I leave. And my job is not to come and bring my plans to God and say, please bless these great plans I'm doing for your glory. My job is just to be the sheepdog and say, go into a situation and say, I don't know what you're doing, but I want to be part, so use me however you want. And I find that life's a lot funner that way. It's a lot more adventurous. You never know what God will do because he's always at work. But see, I had limited God to my own imagination rather than accepting the limitless God. So ask yourself, do I ever say God wouldn't or God can't or is there no way that God would do that? If you are, you're religious. You're not, you're not a person of faith. One more. Look at the other thing that... that Cain fears. He says, I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Can we go to the next slide? So false religion rejoices in its own accomplishments. It's all about me rather than a relationship with God. False religion limits God because we're confining God to what we can imagine rather than what God reveals in the Bible. 
Last, false religion fears the consequences of sin rather than sin itself. If you knew you could get away with a sin and there'd be no consequences, would you sin? Because if you would still sin, sin still has your heart. See, there are people in the world who don't do evil because they fear the consequences of evil. That doesn't make them good people. It just means makes them smart people. Because it's only in fellowship with the God who is holy do we hate sin and not just the consequences of sin. What does Cain fear? Cain fears that somebody will kill him like he killed his brother. He doesn't fear the sin in him that caused him to kill Abel. He just fears that somebody will do to him what he did to somebody else. Does that make sense? If I only fear, if I'm only good when people are watching, if I'm only good because I'm afraid of what will happen if I'm bad, then I'm just religious. Several years ago, um, I suddenly couldn't remember my wife's name. And I couldn't remember my kids' names. I, I knew who they were, but I couldn't remember their names. And I realized something's not working in my brain. Something's not making connection. So Lori rushed me to the emergency uh, ward, and, and they assumed I was having a stroke. And they pumped me full of drugs, and I don't remember anything from then. But they, they ran every single test on me they could, and they could find no evidence of a stroke. They couldn't understand why I had this temporary amnesia. There was just, on my EEG, there was just some indication of some unknown, of unknown origin, some kind of little seizure. So my neurologist put me on an anti-seizure medication, and that was it. Well, because I had to go on this anti-seizure medication, he had to notify the DMV, and my, my license was suspended for six months to make sure that I wouldn't have any more of these seizures. And so I became very familiar with Uber for, for six months. And uh, I'll tell you, my doctor still can't tell me what happened, but I know exactly what happened. And I'll tell you what happened. All of my Christian life, I've been a speeder. I've always driven 10 miles over the speed limit. And I've been very disciplined about it. Uh, if the speed limit is 25 miles an hour, I will drive 35. If the speed limit is 65, I will drive. If the, out on five, the speed limit is 70, I will drive. Now, I know that Romans 13 says Christians are to obey the law of the land. But I figured that what the government doesn't know isn't going to hurt them, right? And so as long as the CHP doesn't see me speeding, it's no big deal. I realized that after 50 years, God finally said, okay, I've given you long enough to repent. We're going to have to little, have a little stronger discipline here. And that God took my license away for six months to show me that he is serious about his commandments. And it doesn't matter what anybody else sees. What matters is what he sees.
and that my driving, just like everything else in my life, reflects what I really believe is true about God. And so since I got my license back, I drive the speed limit as long as I don't forget. <laughs> because I'm just being real. Old habits are hard to break, right? And so as long as I'm intentional about driving the speed limit, I do. I'm still practicing this because that's the way, you know, you have to put sin to death every day, right? But see, the way I was behaving reflected, I wasn't afraid of offending God, even though I was disobeying him. I was afraid of getting a ticket. And as long as I wasn't getting a ticket, I was okay. I didn't fear the sin of disobeying God. I feared the consequences of it. So let me ask you a question. Who do you resemble more, Cain or Abel? Do you do what you do because you want to impress people or you want to please God? Do you fear the consequences of sin or do you fear sin itself? Is there anything in your life you do that's inexplainable except you believe in the God of the Bible? Putting together our own religion is very popular today. I find a lot of people are religious, and they will take elements of, say, Buddhism and put it with elements of Christianity and elements of secular humanism and, and a, a little Taoism here and a little prosperity gospel there. And, kind of, and this is my belief. Well, I've got to tell you, religion saves nobody. Because we all live inconsistently with what we say we believe, let alone what God says is true. We all judge other people for things we do ourselves. That's why nobody is saved by religion. Nobody is saved by what they do because we all have very spotty performances. We're only saved by what Christ has done. And that's the good news of the gospel. That the story of the Bible culminates in the Son of God becoming a human being in order to undo the damage that Adam and Eve had done to us and to the world. He lives the life of perfect obedience to his Father so that we who put our faith in him can be credited with that perfect record. It's as if we actually lived in perfect obedience. He dies the death we deserve to die. He hangs on the cross and takes the wrath of God that we deserve so that God, we can be pardoned by a completely just and faithful God. And then he rises from the dead. He dis, defeats death in our behalf so that we can live forever. And he promises whosoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. We become Christians not by doing something, but by trusting by believing, by depending on the Jesus the Bible reveals. He said, he who comes to me, I will in no way cast out. If you've never come to him, you can come to him today. You can just say, Jesus, I do believe in you. I do believe you're the son of God. I do believe you're the hero of the Bible. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising again on my behalf. Be my savior. Come into my life. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this ancient story that reminds us that just because we're religious doesn't mean we know you. 
And I pray that you will teach each of us in the areas we need to be taught in. We pray in Jesus' name.